Everybody, welcome back while you're sleeping podcast. I am your host, Just One. Make sure that you follow us on Facebook. Make sure that you guys are checking in on Spotify. Thanks for everybody that's been tuning in. And we are back. I have a special guest who's going to outshine me on this podcast because she <laughs> speaks better than I do on this. But we're going to have some fun. My guest today, Nikki Blades, I've known her for, wow, a long time. And it's always good to connect because we don't, normally don't have these conversations. So, Nikki, welcome. How are you? Good. Just quarantining like everybody else right now. Yeah, that's all you can do. Yeah. I mean, what, what's cool about this is that, you know, it's given me a chance to really connect with people and and have these conversations. And one thing that I've been looking at is, like, I don't remember the first time we met. Do you? Do you? Oh, I have no idea. I remember, man, the the only memories I really have of us like meeting, I would always say it was like work related, somewhere in a club, definitely some alcohol involved or plotting and scheming to like work together. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of these connections that I'm bringing onto the show involves the common denominator of alcohol or scheming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely we were drinking and we were like, man, we can work together. Let's make this happen. I know that we saw something in each other and we're like, you trying to get this money or you not trying to get this money. Exactly. So now like we're here and we're we're making different connections. This has taught us how to kind of go out of the box and and really speak to one another. Yeah. It's, it's like forced us into a new, like a new norm, like going out, you're very social. First off, you're like one of the most social people I know you're everywhere all the time. And this is kind of turned into like my new norm. Like I don't really go out as much. I left a big part of that life out. So this has kind of been a little bit more of what I'm used to, but it's nice to see other people becoming accustomed to it too. Okay, so you've already kind of shifted out. Yeah, I've been transitioning out of the super social scene. I want to say I transitioned out at the end of November. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's been about a year. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. I've been, I moved out of the Bay. Um, I started focusing more on the radio. And with that comes a lot of alone time. Yeah, because I mean, you work crazy hours, right? crazy hours, traveling a lot. It's very like, yeah, I'm to myself a lot. But this has forced a lot of other people to uh, get used to it. You know what I mean? Like, right. And it's forced growth like within yourself too, right? Hell yeah. If this would have happened about a year ago, I would be losing my mind. But I feel like I've been preparing for this for a while now. Oh, okay. So with like preparation, with like, you know, the new lifestyle, I want to take it all the way back because I think that part of this and like part of what I want to get out of everybody is the process. So, Mm. you know, we know that you grew up in like a smaller town and like what were things like growing up, you know, in the Blades household? So I grew up in Newman and a lot of people don't even know where Newman is. I call it two stoplight California. It's in the middle of nowhere next to some cows. I graduated with less than a hundred people in high school. 
Yeah, very small school, not really diverse. I played travel sports. So growing up in my house was a, I grew up in a Hawaiian household. So it is for all my polys out there. You guys know what it is. Shout them out. (laughs) (laughs) It is different. When I first moved, when we first moved to California, we were in a house with a bunch of other family members. So I grew up with a big family, lots of cousins. And then eventually that dwindled down to by, probably by my like senior year. It was just me, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, and then my grandma for a bit. And then that really, you know, that changed. So growing up, my family dynamic changed a lot. But it was crazy. You know what's crazy is that every every interview that I've watched and I'm trying to really dial this back because I think it's good to hear it from your your mouth. But everybody that interviews interviews you always asks you what your nationality is. And, <laughs> and I wonder, like, why is that question so prominent? That, I mean, every time I could be on a live stream, I could, <laughs> I could be, you know, every live stream is the same, like same two questions, what's your nationality or what's your ethnic background and how tall are you? Right. So, I think it's because I'm so racially ambiguous and I've dealt with that my whole life because I, I tell everybody I am whatever you are probably. Like right. if you are Latino, you look at me and you'll probably be like, oh, you must be mixed with uh, Puerto Rican or Mexican or some some sort of Latin. If you're African-American, you'd be like, oh, you must be half and half. If you're Asian, actually, you know what? Most Asians don't see themselves in me. But, yeah. I, but I am Hawaiian, Chinese, Irish and Filipino. Yeah, it's like the most consecutive or most consistent thing that I've read about you and yeah again, i don't want to do the i don't want to do the research like there's no there's no point in doing the research it's you kind are, of like it's kind of my intro like hi my name that's how you should start start it out every morning you should go hi my name is nikki blades i'm this this and this just to clear the air I, I pretty much used to put that like in my that's in my bio that's how much I get asked. It's in my bio. And people are really lazy. And honestly, my looks change. So I don't take offense to it anymore. And I I used to. But at the same time, I don't even know what a pure, you know, a pure or anybody else that's the same mix as me. There's little variations. But like my sister and I don't even look alike. And we're exactly the same. No, so, you guys kind of do. Kind of in the eyes a little bit. Yeah, like in the eyes and nose area. Yeah, I would say, and I and I switch my hair up, and I switch my hair up quite often. So my hair is naturally curly. It just throws everybody for a loop. I know. You know what else threw me for a loop? I also read that you went to UCLA. True or false? False, false. And I know what you're. I know exactly (laughs) what you're talking about. So okay. So Justin was talking about, and I've Googled myself before because really, why? Well, I want to know what's going on and what <laughs> like sheesh. Also, can you cuss on here? Yes or no? Yes, of course. Okay. Shit. I have looked myself up one because I have, you know, I'm working on the the trademarking and all those legal things. So you kind of got to know what the internet has on you. But the one that you're talking about, I think it says like I'm a millionaire. Yeah, I you went, are. I Do you know what your net worth is? No. What is my net worth? You're like 10 million. That's like, 
I want to be her. Whoever. It sounded kind of lame, though. It. I mean, it was, first off, I think they had my, one, they had my parents' names wrong. Uh, way off. UCLA, I wish I went to UCLA. Uh, whoever wrote this hyped me up. Like, big shouts out to them, because they made me way better than I actually am. Yeah, they said that you were discovered in a photography class, and that's how you got into modeling. So let's clear what? the air. So, so that and how did that happen? So that part's kind of that's crazy because not a lot of people really know that part. So I played softball in college, and around that time is when softball got taken out of the Olympics. Like softball got taken out, USA was whooping everybody's ass. They kicked it out. And that was what I was really going to school for. So when I realized, oh, I don't know what I want to do with my life. The one thing I always wanted to do was model. So there was a photography class. I took some photos. And that's when America's Next Top Model was everything. I pretty much made my own comp cards. I studied. I did all of the research you needed to do. And that is actually where I did get my start. So were you taking pictures at first? Yeah, I was discovered. Whew, man, I'm I've always been kind of long and lanky. So my aunt back in the day tried to get me into modeling. I was scouted. My parents wanted me to play sports, so we didn't go the modeling route. We went the athletic route. Right. And then when college hit, I was like, "Yo, this is not. I don't know what I want." So I've always loved taking pictures. The photography class happened, and it started there. And then what was it? It was kind of, you literally could model back then. You had to go, I wish I could remember the website, but there was a website for models and you can work with photographers and you have to build a portfolio. Oh, um, model Mayhem. Yes, Model Mayhem. So no I was way. Going, Yes, so oh, that- Let me back you up real quick though, because <laughs> I, I need to know this. So, I mean, you had like tons of confidence yeah. because of- you know, softball and like excelling in sports, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, what was like, how do you transition into like being behind, not even being behind the camera, being in front of the camera. And then now you're like taking pictures. Like what's that? What's the transition there? So I come from a lot of people don't know. I used to dance hula. So again, that goes back to growing up Hawaiian and we used to perform. So in our household, like, you kind of had to to fight for your confidence because I had five really attractive girl cousins. They used to make us perform. My aunt used to make us like take photos. <laughs> so, being in front of, so being in front of the camera wasn't anything new. I remember my dad telling me like, if you ever want to model, you got to make sure you know how to walk in heels. So I kind of always had this like training without officially training. Like Everybody around me, I knew I wanted to model one day. That was like kind of the mindset that I had. And I was looking at it from a business perspective. I I wanted to be a model and a food critic since I was younger. So the transition wasn't that hard. I mean, it's like you when you play sports and I've traveled the U.S. plane. So I've all over the U.S., nationals, you name it. I was scouted. I did all that stuff. So when I was on the court, like that's like being on stage. I was a show off. And I definitely was feeling myself. So it wasn't, <laughs> so it didn't, it's not as dramatic. It wasn't like, oh my God, I just was like discovered and boom, became a model. Right. I, it was one of those things I kind of always wanted. And I was obsessed with Tyra Banks and the 90s supermodels. And growing up, 
in a small town with no diversity, I didn't really ever feel pretty enough. I never quite understood why it seemed harder for me to have like boys like me or friends and why does nobody else look like me, but I see some other people on TV that do. So it was, it was one of those things that I always knew I was never where I was supposed to be. And so you're like the classic coyote ugly um, story where you small town girl moves to big city. Yeah, I wish I moved to the big city. I was a small town <laughs> yeah. girl, went to a slightly bigger city, then went to a slightly bigger city, and then went in and out of LA. And I never, it, it's a different type of coyote ugly. Because so where, where did you land after, where did you land after Newman? And like after softball, like. That was after that, I had a lot of family stuff going on. So I never really made it. I never really went too far. The Bay Area still had a modeling agency at the time for modeling agency was out there. IMG, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, those are some like San Francisco was one of the top places that you needed to go for commercial work. So I, that's how I kind of got into the Bay Area. And I had worked with Mint Models. I don't know if anybody knows what that is. It's I'd work with them. And I worked with this other agency called Prestigious Modeling, and that was an Asian agency. So like the first real agency work I got was with Asian owned and operated in Asian agencies. They had their shit together, though. Oh, yeah. That's where um, I was at Anheuser-Busch. I did the whole Bud Light Girl thing. I got to travel. I did the promo modeling uh, that's where I really want to say I got a lot of the stuff in. I did LA Fashion Week. Um, I was what, what year was this? Jeez, I d- actually have no idea. Like the time frame, I feel like I can't even put a date on it. But but this is pre Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is this is before something. even before this, MySpace. Um, I think this was during the MySpace time because Model Mayhem. That's how all of that kind of that was during that era. But this yeah. was definitely before my bigger breaks. And like, this is a, at a time where being a model was like working with an agency and kind of working like those angles versus now, like you could post, you know, pictures on your Instagram and then kind of be, yeah, right? Yeah. This was the time of having a comp card. Like most well, so of these- what's a comp card? So a comp card is where you have your headshot, you have your stats, you have your agency that you work with. Pretty much it's like your resume and your comp card is what you take to your go-sees. And I really used to put in that work. I used to go and try to get signed to agencies. I would be online. This company called Spader was actually, Tyga used to work with them. And there was Young Murph. There's There's a couple of people that worked it, but they were based out of Australia. And I remember that I used to go onto these websites of these companies clothing companies and I'd scroll down to the bottom and I'd go to the contact me part and I would, and I would, and I would email them. I used to put in that work to showing up and doing what's called an open call is they, most of the agencies have set days and you show up and you hope that they like you and you take photos and yeah, but I was doing the, the, the share for share type of stuff, the trade work. You got to get your headshots, do the artsy. So, so what is share share work? Share work is, it's like trade, right? It's, you don't get paid for it, 
but that's how you build your portfolio. Like you got to give in order to get, and you have to practice some of these girls nowadays, which is, which is great. The opportunities that they have now is not how it used to be. Like this is before people were saying, oh, you don't have to be this size in order to to model. Oh, you don't got to be this tall. Oh, oh, you don't got to have that, that look. It was during the time where you kind of did. And that's why it was so hard for me because I never had that look. So the work that I got, I had to, I had to bust my ass for. What was like a stereotype, typical look at that time? We were in the, I want to say... I'm 5'9". So for my height, you needed to be about like 120. That's for like, yeah, that's like ideal runway. Athletic wasn't in yet. They weren't, they really weren't promoting like a fit athletic lifestyle. It was still pretty skinny. So I struggled. I definitely struggled. But you find your your niche eventually. And I kind of did. And which was? So I fell into the athletic work. I got to work with Adidas. I worked with, I did an international running campaign for Adidas, which was really dope. And then right after that is when Maxim came into play. So when you're doing the Adidas stuff, was that on the strength of your like cold calling and you you grinding it out on the emails and you networking? Yeah, because I actually was signed to an agency and my agency didn't even put me up for the job. I had got an email because I signed up for the emails to get the castings and I submitted myself and they were like, okay, come by. I lied about my shoe size because you have to be a certain size. I said my foot was going to fit and it definitely didn't, but I ran and it was for, yeah, it was for their running campaign and I made my foot fit and I ran and I used every athletic move I had to try to get this job and I got, I got the job. I ran in San Francisco for like 12 hours. It Jeez. was long, but it was the first time that I ever did anything on that scale. And it really showed me the independent route because no one's going to fight for you harder than you fight for you. For sure. So where, where do you think that type of hustle and that grind comes from? Growing up in the middle of nowhere and your family telling you the sacrifices they made in order for you know you to do the things you want. I have really supportive parents and especially especially in the modeling industry, not a lot of parents support, but my parents always believed that I was supposed to do something else. So my mom used to tell me in high school, just make it to 18, just make it to graduation. I promise you life is better because growing up was tough. Like it was really hard for me growing up in the Valley around a bunch of people who didn't look like me, didn't sound like me, didn't act like me. I, I just was so different. And they pushed. So when the modeling stuff came, they were a thousand percent behind it, except we had rules. When you're saying like it was tough growing up, are you talking about like the ignorance of the people around you where they didn't accept you for who you are or? It was like family was crazy. That was tough. I had a very overprotective father who till this day will tell you that he was not about to let my ass go nowhere. I didn't get my license till I was 18. He had me on lockdown. My dad used to check my bag before I left my house. And (laughs) I tell you, my dad was on my ass so tough and everybody in the town knew, like everybody knew. So 
it was just difficult because I didn't have the friendships or the experiences a lot of other people had. And then you throw in the cultural stuff with everybody else around you. And it's, it was a lot on top of a lot on top of a lot. Right. Yeah. That sounds tough. It, it mm-hmm. almost sounds reminiscent of like right now where you don't have too many options to go out right now. <laughs> you have to become creative. So where did the, the personality come from? Like, you know, is it, is it really shining through sports is what gave you the confidence to kind of do and execute and get all this hustle to go get these jobs? Or were you like small town girl that was just like ready to go? Like, I need to get out of here. I can't do the typical, you know, Newman life where I marry my high school sweetheart. You know, he goes, works at the the mill. (laughs) That sounds so bad. Like he goes, works at like the factory. No, you're not. You're honestly not too far off, but it's kind of like a combination sports. I, confidence, right? Like when it comes to sports, I believed in myself a thousand percent. I put the work in. So I never really doubted my abilities, which of course gives me, gives me so much confidence, but the personality came in because I had to have one. Like you had like not having a personality in my household was never going to cut it. Like my family will tell you I was goofy. I was dorky. I was awkward, uh, sensitive. I'm very sensitive. Are you really? Uh, yes. Oh my goodness. I'm like the crybaby of the family. Like, oh. yes. now where are you in the age range? Are you like the middle kid, the youngest? So I'm the oldest. I have two older sisters, but how they could, live in home. How could the the oldest be the but, most sensitive? But oh, it's not that hard. I I don't know why, but I'm just like mushy and my. <laughs> Like my feelings used to get hurt all the time. I don't know why I'm the type to cry in a movie. I got booed once while we were doing karaoke and I never sang again. Jeez, you're like stepbrothers. I just was like, uh, my cousins were, okay, I have older cousins. I have older female cousins. And then when it comes to that side, I fall in the middle. And with that, you had to, I wasn't the prettiest, I wasn't the prettiest cousin. Oh, and so you had to have a personality. Everybody had to have something to bring to the table. For sure. I mean, I think that's with anywhere, right? Yeah, but some people don't ever have to develop a personality. You know, they call it the, what, the ugly duckling complex to where most of the pretty girls that have personality weren't always pretty. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, so it's like, you, I had to have a personality and I was always goofy and I didn't come into my own till later, but the personality part, that's what I always was. The looks are what came later in my opinion. So, so the personality gets you a job at Adidas Yeah, and you're running in size seven shoes. Yep. And I, <laughs> and I, I was persistent. I was like, I did not play sports since I was like six years old for nothing. So you you're, don't get a job. <laughs> So you do that, and then what what comes next? After Adidas was Maxim. And mind you, we're already, so at that time, where are we at? Instagram is getting ready to start. Social media is really starting to be on the forefront of everything. It was Adidas, and then it was literally into Maxim. Maxim was doing this hometown hottie contest, and 
used to be a it used to be a big deal. Yeah, because that's when print was popping, right? If you didn't have print work, like what were you doing? Right. And this is like what would that be the equivalent to now basically? Ooh. I have like a I have a a comparison, but I don't know if it'd be what is correct. it? So I I don't want to say it. So I kind of want to hear yours. <laughs> Let's see. Being published nowadays would be damn. I hate to say it. It feels like almost like having a, a billboard. No, it used to be the popular page, but we don't have that anymore. It'd be like going viral. I think that's kind of how oh, it equated. Yeah. Okay. Because when you when you were published, you posted it. They posted it. Everybody saw it. That meant that it was real you know, and there, that was like credibility. That would have solidified your name in the game. Hell yeah. Remember like Street Low and all these other magazines and all the import magazines and a lot of those import models became huge because they had the print work. That's right. what, that's what made them real. You know, you, you know can't what's sad is that all those magazines are gone pretty much. Digital took over, and that's kind of like where this transition was going. So Maxim happened, and I was already in the Bay Area. I remember submitting. Somebody was like, "You should submit," and I was super nervous because I'm like, "I know Maxim. I didn't think I looked like anybody in there. I definitely did my research, but there were some girls that I had followed and seen that had did it. I'm like, you know what?" Let's see if we can do this. So I submitted, I got a call back and then they tell you to put in, you have to like create these videos. So my intro video to get people to like me was me sliding across my kitchen counter in Superman underwear and talking about how much I like food. Nice. So it was very off the beaten path, but true to what you're all about. That's probably the moment where I had to figure out how to not be like everybody else. Yeah. Maxim forced like Maxim forced me to not you you know you're not just a pretty face when you have people voting for you. Right. What's gonna make you unique and stand out? Right. It really was a matter of looking around at what everyone's done and then trying to do the opposite of it. No, for sure. So did you get it? So I ended up making top ten. I was named one of the top ten hottest girls in America. Got published, did a whole Miami Miami week, got to film, meet a bunch of girls. I remember when I went, one of the, I think one of the highlights of my career was when I showed up and you got to meet all the staff and they were like, we remember your video. Like we remember mm. you. And that is what felt the best because my hidden talent was a three pointer. One challenge was what can you do without your hands? And I watched a bunch of girls open things with their mouths. And I put sweatpants on with no hands. So, oh, nice. So again, you're like really just doing you. Yeah, it be. It was just how can you be different, but not try to look like you're trying doing too much. Yeah, that's the balance of what that was, and that was the last season that they did it. It was the last they Maxim ended up getting bought out, and they haven't ran any other contests since. And Instagram, that's when Instagram started getting popping because Maxim was reposting people and that's where everybody started really getting that like following. 
Mm, the digital follow. Mm, that's when that's when you started noticing. Like I got published, but when Maxim started posting on Instagram and they were running challenges through Instagram, that's when you knew that everything was about to change. So, so you could pretty much say you're an OG model. Yeah, like I actually went and started with really roughing it. <laughs> if you you know, I wasn't able to just post up a picture and it go viral. Right have a makeup tutorial to teach me how to do my damn eyebrows. We were struggling. Right. There was no Fashion Nova. <laughs> there was no Fashion Nova. <laughs> and you know, what's kind of crazy, and I was going to say this, was that Fashion Nova, I, I, I didn't want to like put those two together, but Fashion Nova is really good at what they're doing on the internet, though. Oh, definitely. It's... Fast fashion, their marketing, their target audience, they're smart. Like you can't, I've worked with Fashion Nova. I've worked with a lot of these uh, digital brands. And if you didn't, this is how I see it. If you haven't worked with one of these companies, like, did you really model? Like, have you actually modeled? Because they, you know, like they were scouting some of the top girls in the game, like right off the bat. It wasn't just about numbers. It was about, they were looking for models. And when you've done like e-commerce work, uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, when you look at the websites and you see the girl or guy standing there in the standard t-shirt, that's e-commerce. So if you've done those things, like they find you back in the day on Instagram, you were posting up professional work. Like girls were putting up pro photos to really say I'm a model. And that was model mayhem was gone at that point. And you were using Instagram to work. I got to work with some amazing photographers because of Instagram. Now, are you still modeling? I've taken a step back. I don't shoot as much, but a lot had to do with like life. By this time, what um, where I'm at now, I have other things that I'm doing that is really more consuming. And like, I mean... Would you go back or like, is it just kind of takes that recur- that right project? I definitely would go back a thousand percent. I mean, we kind of, every day you post a picture up, you're kind of modeling. Like every time you post up a picture on Instagram, you're kind of modeling. But the game is different. It's very different. It's almost to where we went from meeting to work with photographers and have professional photo shoots in order for people to take you serious to I probably gain more traction and more exposure from my iPhone photo than I would if I had teamed up with somebody. Yeah, what what I've noticed is that the more organic picture gets the more like, you know, traction versus like some of these girls that are posting like a lot of these photos that are like very you know, docked with a lot of Photoshop, a lot of filter and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I love modeling. That's one of the things that I know I'll get back into for sure. It's just a matter of location, location, location. Like right now I, I moved myself out of that kind of life for a bit just because I needed substance because if you're going to be in the modeling game, you have to adapt. Like you gotta, you gotta still have more. Modeling can pay the bills, but are you a top model? Are you getting, do you have any other options outside of that? What else can you do? Because we all know 
we all know that like the aesthetic can change. Like what people want may not be what they want tomorrow. And also who knows what life's going to throw at you. I needed a backup plan for sure. What, what What's like the in look for modeling? Cause I feel like it's very voluptuous versus to like the, the time that you were talking about where the, the, the model was very slender and like tall and kind of skinny, not even athletic. What's beautiful about today and what's going on in like 2020 and what's going to happen is that there's so many subcultures. There is no one standard fit, but we do know that if you want to do runway, you are still going to have to semi fit into the mold or someone's going to have to fall in love with you and then push for that. Fenty, Rihanna does a big, you know, really about being inclusive, but at the same time, wow. it's really, it's really all about somebody liking you. Have you so seen that fashion show? Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. That's like probably one of the best fashion shows I've ever seen. Ever. And Rihanna Can goes- you talk about that? Because I think it's key for talking about the evolution of what modeling is today and what Rihanna did with that. What Rihanna did, and she does it with herself too. Like Rihanna put on weight. She's comfortable in her skin. She's never been afraid to step out of the box and just to be who she is. And what Rihanna does and what she did with that show is push confidence. That's what was on the runway. It wasn't a body type. It wasn't a skin type. It wasn't a gender. It didn't have a name. It was confidence. And that's what she sells. That's who she is as a brand. And that's why people love her because I grew up in the time of the 90s supermodel, which is the Naomi Campbells. You have like, you go through that list and they were actually kind of more along the lines of what girls look like now. Then it changed into these really skinny, stick thin models. And then now we went through this like big booty phase of- big ginormous booty face (laughs) (laughs) big old ass like there's just so much ass (laughs) where it's now like plus size isn't plus size uh plus size you actually technically was plus size at one point in time based off of like numbers but in real life i know girls that are beautiful and thick that they would call overweight in that industry rihanna went and put colors she put sizes she put, you name it, she put it in there. I mean, she even had a pregnant woman walking at one point in one of her shows. Yeah, that was great. I mean, she put hip hop, she she put all the subcultures together, dancing, choreography, and um, incredible sets. Oh man, and that's, and she has always been one to say things like she, it's not about relying on a man. Her main thing is about confidence and how everybody's beautiful. And it's always been about finding that and being in the media as a woman, she's, she's gotten torn apart. She's gone through all types of stuff. So to come out on the other side, just really making women feel better about themselves and people feel better about themselves. I don't know if there's any other artist, creator or just person in that position doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, there needs to be more of that, right? Mm, Yeah, it it does. It really does. But it's, it's one of those things where people will argue that, right? Like people will argue the, but if you model or if we do this, is this couture? Is this not couture? What does that fall into? Like 
it's going to be a debate and probably the fashion industry will change, but I don't ever know if it will be fully inclusive like that. So do you think we're in a good place with modeling right now? I do. I do. I think that we're able to, (laughs) if you don't get in with this group, there's another group of people that are willing to love you and accept you. There's work everywhere. Your fitness models got a place. Your big booty girls got a place. Your high fashion <laughs> has a place. Trans, you know, there are gender fluid. You you name it. There's someone that loves that. And if you do your research and you can find your like your place in it, you're gonna you're gonna get work. I, I like how there's a little emphasis uh, in your voice when you're like, the big booty girl got a place. You know, you know why? Because that movement of the big booty girls on social media, it has caused me at times to question myself on my aesthetic. I definitely have changed my diet before. It it really, it messes with you because they used to blame television and magazines for the way that we view things. But I tell you, mid-20s on social media, seeing all of these girls, the attention, the work that they were getting. I mean, come on, Fashion Nova literally hires girls that have 22 inch waists with 62 inch asses. And you got to look in the mirror and be like, uh, so uh, that's who's taking my job. What are you going to uh, do? And and it's all who could pay the money, right? Yup. So the big, and I, and I say with that emphasis, because those girls had a lot of people. I mean, like you question it. That, that was like Nicki Minaj. You had all these people. I mean, mainly Nicki Minaj was during that time where everybody was like, yo, that ass is huge. I think it was Kim Kardashian, though. Depends on what you were watching. But yeah, both. I mean, they were kind of at, they were around the same time. And then you had a lot of other like social media again was pushing. And this is where guys were liking photos. And this is it really started like this snowball effect of I wouldn't even say insecurities, but I'm going to say insecurities. I was always made fun of for not having a booty. And then that kind of became the style, like having an ass was in, is in. Right. I mean, I noticed that like that's even tapering off a little bit in a sense. I watch, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians and stuff and. I watch a lot of fashion stuff, but it seems that even the Kardashians are starting to thin out a little bit. Yeah, because it's fashion. It's what's sophisticated. If you're going for a sophisticated look, you tend to want to be less curvaceous. You don't want to have your boobs all out or your butt all out. K. Michelle, I remember she got a butt reduction. Uh, A lot of people want to slim out, which is why it's better now because you can find your own lane like you don't have to be in the gym doing 70 million hip thrust just to try to get a butt thinking you know what I mean thinking it's gonna (laughs) get you another job it's like right now you can literally do what feels best for you and it seems like with the charge of like athletic wear and like lululemon and even like the off-white stuff that has like it's full like athletic department it seems that like everything's going towards that yeah I like it it's it's really one of those things to where I've questioned myself I put on weight because I wanted to see what it looked like I wanted to be a little thicker I didn't want to be so thin I wanted to see what that felt like 
And I did. And I realized that what I feel comfortable and confident in is being athletic. I like being leaner. I like being agile. I like being able to perform. And whatever you like for yourself is what's going to work best because like we talked about Rihanna, it's about confidence. I could have the biggest ass in the world and feel insecure and everyone can see that. They're not looking at my butt. They're looking at how awkward or insecure that person is. But when you're confident, no matter what size, you're always going to win. Man, take them to church. (laughs) Always, always going to win. Take them to church. All right, so now, you know, like where you're at now, you're doing the radio thing. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? So we did Maxim. Maxim opened up other doors. I actually was able to write out Maxim for a while. And during that time is when you had Snapchat takeovers, Snapchat stories, being more expressive on social media, having a personality was really starting to kick in. And then the next big thing I did was wilding out. But before Wildin' Out, all that was going on is that I was doing these Snapchat takeovers. And while Maxim was happening, I had to campaign. So I would go to different radio stations to campaign to get people to vote for me. Like, I really had to put in some work to try to get this title. So while I was there, E-Rock, we all know E-Rock, big shout out to E-Rock, was one of the first people I'd ever did an interview with. And he was like, you actually have, you actually kind of sound good on the radio. You should you should think about this. And my big headed ass was like, Oh my God, radio. What? No backwards. We're moving backwards here guys. Right. Because that (laughs) takes you outside of the camera. Right. Like what? No, no, no. We want, you know, we're trying to ride this high. This is, you know, that's where we're moving television. You want those types of things. I did an interview in Stockton at Kwin back in the day too. And they had said the same thing. And so with, that little bit of confidence. I was doing more like Arsenic TV. I don't know if you're familiar with Arsenic. They were really big on social media. Snapchat stories used to get thousands and thousands and thousands of views. So I would do takeovers. And that's where you hop on everybody else's big platforms and host stories. Like it was literally television. That's before, you know, where we were at now. Was that lucrative at the time? The Snapchat takeover? Yeah, for sure. You know, it was a share for share. It was a trade, building up your numbers. The I was able to work with other companies, bigger companies. I was working with the Fashion Novas. I was working with the Opali. I was getting clothes sent to me. I was doing all of that stuff. And then how I got into radio was Jeff Bayani, who is the sales director over at Kwin. He had been a follower and we had worked together during the Maxim thing where I hosted an event. And he said, hey, Have you ever thought about doing radio? You sound great. I love your rants. I love your stories. Your voice sounds cool. Ever try it? And at that time, I was like, you, again, I said it again, like, why? Why would I do radio? That is not in the cards. And what was going on in my life was my sister was in and out of the hospital. She has a postpartum cardiomyopathy, which means her heart only works at a certain percentage. So... I couldn't really leave. I couldn't move to LA. We needed to still be close. I had a lot going on during that time. Projects weren't going through. Man, I felt like I was on in a roller coaster. I didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. And so did, did you ever feel stable in, in the modeling thing? 
I don't think you're ever stable. I didn't have an agency really to fight for me. The work, you got to put in the work. Uh, Social media, you got to put that in as well. I was still, I was able to make money. I think that's around the time where you and I were able to start working together. We did the live streaming. The what did I do? We did live streaming. Remember Livestar? Oh, yeah. That's Fuck. Forgot about that. Yeah, we did live streaming. So at that time, that was right before radio. That's in between Max. Yeah, so live streaming. We were on the forefront of all that stuff. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, we were doing live streams. And that's really- Livestar was ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. If it would have came out like maybe like two years ago, I think they would have been the biggest company. Oh, crazy. I mean, we, we know what could have happened with that, but that's what- yeah, they were ahead of their time for the U.S., for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I forgot about Livestar. Yeah. Shout out Livestar. Shout yeah. out Livestar. Yo, shout out you. I remember you came to me with that, <laughs> with that idea because of the Instagram takeovers and the Snapchat stories. Like, that's why you hit me with the Livestar thing. Man, that seems so, like... Forever ago? ago? Yes. <laughs> but... All those things were like preparation for radio. It almost seemed seamless, right? It yeah, was like, you were like fucking destined to do this. <laughs> it was one of those things to where we were already showing personality. I mean, Maxim kind of cracked it open. That's what I was known for. I was known for being silly and being different and being diverse and having a personality, which is strange that that was so rare. Having yeah. a personality was so rare at that time that... Even today, I mean, you know, even today no, people, sure. you know, still kind of uh, in shock when it's like, oh, you can talk. Oh, you can play sports. Oh, <laughs> you can walk well, that's, <laughs> that's very true, though. Because I tell people I'm in radio, they're like, what? You know, all you see are selfies with, with different, you know, filters and then kind of showing where they're at. But you never hear like, you know, the actual like, hey, I'm here at, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. More just like, hey, I'm here at this cool restaurant. But it's not verbalized. It's just kind of like the picture of like, I'm here doing this. Yeah, totally. But we were doing a lot more. It was putting the personality on the forefront, fitness on the forefront, talking, cooking, partying, having fun, doing all those things. And I wasn't going to be able to move. LA, like I had taken LA out of my mind for a while. And when Jeff, when Bayani had asked me to come through, I kind of, I remember the day I was in the car. I remember I was driving somewhere and I was with, uh, I was with somebody at that time. And I got the phone call and Jeff was like, come by the damn station. Just come by. You have nothing to lose. I said, okay, whatever. I went by and pretty much after that, next thing you know, we're here. I went from overnights to weekends to middays to mornings in a matter of like six months. Damn. Is Jeff the mayor of Stockton? Yes. He's, yes. (laughs) Jeff Jeff Bayani is the damn mayor of Stockton pretty much. But the actual mayor is Michael Tubbs. But Jeff (laughs) Bayani, I would call him the ambassador. Yeah, that's a that's a great. I mean, he's been holding it down for at least like fifteen plus oh, years out there. Like, if, exactly. if you go to Stockton, you have to check in with him. 
oh yeah it's kind of a must and if you don't know who jeff is then like do you really know anybody oh you really know anybody jeez man he's he is one of those he is one of those people to where it's like oh you know jeff oh damn that's crazy and he's a great on the basketball court He's a show. He he showed out. He did. He showed out for sure. So, so we 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 played in the it was like the Filipino Heritage Night the other yeah. day, and Nikki's fuck. I, I put money up. I put a thousand dollars up that she could outshoot most of y'all guys out there. <laughs> oh yeah, MVP. Which I was nervous. Let me tell you, I was nervous. I knew everybody was gonna know everybody. I shoot on my Instagram, so I knew that I had to perform. Like it was a must, but you, <laughs> but you can't do too much, right? It's like you got to find that balance. Like don't try too hard, but you bet, bitch, you better make it. Bitch, you better make your shots. <laughs> I saw y'all shooting in the gym, you and Jeff beforehand. Because Jeff was with me shooting in the gym. Yeah, he was shooting with you in the gym. He was dedicated. We, That's shout a out real to Edison one right there. Letting us shoot around. Oh, yeah. I mean, but even those types of things led to other opportunities. It's crazy. But yeah, Jeff is the reason. He's a big part. E-Rock opened up the door. Like, he cracked the seal. E-Rock really planted that seed. And... To this day, I always say he's one of the main one of the main people that inspired me to do it and to also see where it could take me. But Jeff grabbed me and was like, you're going to do this. And then I got lucky. I, I really got lucky. The woman that was doing mornings before saw me come in and she retired. She was there for like 20 years. And wow. she was like, yeah, she was there for 20 years. I got the job and she ended up retiring early. She was like, hey she could fill in and pretty much that's how I got my opportunity. And then I ran with it. So, so what are like the things that you most enjoy about the radio? The, one of the biggest things is my co-host. I got really lucky. Very, very lucky. We don't do a traditional show. I really enjoy that. It's my voice. It's not my looks. Nobody even knows if I'm cute based off of my voice. I don't think I sound like an attractive person. (laughs) (laughs) you know how you hear some people and you're like damn they sound like they're fine right i don't think people think that when they hear my voice oh that's good though so it's it's more like they're gonna fall in love with the personality before before they see you You know because no matter what you're like love is blind on the radio then yeah, I think you'll be I think you're more surprised when you see me versus when you hear me because mind you when I went to Stockton it's not like anybody knew who I was. So when I got on air it you know I wouldn't say that a majority of the people that actually knew who I was was in Stockton. That wasn't my demographic. We had been in the bay, we've been doing that stuff. So when I came back to the valley that really wasn't I wasn't able to rely on my looks or my name. So radio made me learn how to speak. Holy shit. Did it make me learn how to have a conversation, but it it had nothing to do with what I look like. That was the best part about radio is like, we're in the social media time. I've always kind of had a following. People talk a lot of shit, right? People talk a lot of smack 
and oh you only get this because you look a certain way this is when internet trolls you had to learn how to ward off all of that stuff (laughs) you know what I mean you had to learn how to build up a tough skin but when you're able to have more to you that's I think the biggest takeaway is being able to say like I did something that had absolutely nothing to do with my looks so now I feel validated that's awesome and like that's really cool I mean, I think that's a great message to to sell. I mean, not just sell, not sell, that's the wrong way to put it, but that's a great message to, you know, put out to the world because a lot of this emphasis is on what you see on the internet and and it turns into like, you know, people creating anxiety and having Mm -hmm. issues with like, you know, body shaming and things like that. So I think it's important that, you know, we, we kind of convey that message today. Yeah. What, what, hmm? Go ahead. No, I was going to say you, when you rely on your personality, it, that almost becomes a thing that you want to protect. I want to protect that at all costs. So there's certain things that I've become shy with sharing on the internet. Like I enjoy going on live streams because that's me in the purest form. But if I have to record something or I have to edit, I'm always like, oh, what, somebody's going to say something about this or, oh, no, I'm going to have to worry about that to where I've become it's easier for me to post a picture and be like, Psh, I already know exactly what you guys are going to say. But when I when it comes to my personality, I'm like, "Ooh, better stay in your lane. Don't come for me. So, so you've been on the air for three years now? Yeah. Wow. The time flies, huh? Yeah, it's it's crazy, crazy. And now you're on the morning show, correct? Yeah, I got the morning show. <laughs> like I said, I got super lucky six months into ever touching a, a board or grabbing the microphone, six months. Because the morning show is like the best slot, correct? That's the epitome of what you want to do in radio. It, uh, it's that, and then you have like programming. Then you go into the business side of things, but- mornings, that's what you're striving for. And I know so many people that have fought their whole lives to get into that spot. And that came with its own adversity with me getting it so quickly. Ah, like what? Well, you only got it because of your Instagram or you only got it because you look a certain way. Ah, that's why that was my next question. Like, did you, did did people write you off as a pretty face? Like when you yeah. first started? <laughs> Hell yeah. I was fresh off of shit, like really training. I was in the best shape of my life. In the middle of doing uh, middays, I got casted for a while and out. When I was negotiating my contracts, I still kept in place like my brand. You know, I was coming in already with the following and we were seeing what radio was going to transition into podcasting, uh, live streaming, all of those things. So when I came into the game of radio on the younger side, on the aesthetic side, did not look like anybody else. And it, did I make friends right away? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And everybody was older. A lot of people felt very disrespected at the fact that I came in, that it was almost, they felt like it was just handed to me. And Mm. I remember I remember grinding. I was doing double shifts. So I was working mornings and midday. So that's from about like 5.30 till about 3 in the afternoon. And I was driving from Union City to Stockton and back five days a week and working weekends. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I knew that at that time I, I was fighting for something and I just believe that substance is going to be in style. Like that shit is going to be in and people are going to appreciate that. And that's the one thing no one can take away. Like no one's going to, they're not with you on the days when you're sleeping in the parking lot because you can't, because you've been up and you're trying to work multiple jobs and you're trying to have a future and you're figuring out your life, but you're grinding for something that don't pay well and trying to figure it all out. Like I used to sleep at 24 hour fitness in the parking lot sometimes because I was so tired that I was, I was dozing off. So I had to pull off and stop so that I wouldn't crash. That's amazing. I don't think a lot of people know what that takes, you know? Especially when it's, it, it felt like an internship. Like the first, I want to say like the first year and a half felt like an internship. You know, you're working for little to no money. Uh, you're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for the exposure. You're doing it for what you know it's going to lead to. And if you can't push through that first year, you're never going to make it in anything. Like that's why people, you know, like school, that's, I think that's a big reason why there are internships. Like you need to figure out if this is what you really want. Are you willing to sacrifice for this? Cause it's not going to be easy. And they, it was not handed to me. And they, they weren't making it easy. Like people, or was it kind of easy, but you just had to put the work in. When you're getting into something later in life that other people went to school for or Ooh. other people have always been in that world. Most of the people in the radio industry, lifers, 16, 15, going, you know, sneaking into DJ. They used to go and do all this stuff and the stories of the glory days of radio. You can ask anybody that's been in the game and they'll tell you they started that like that's what they've always wanted to do. I came in with that wasn't at all what I wanted to do. I didn't res- I didn't have the same respect, the same love, the same like drive that everybody else had because they had 20 years on me. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to have fuck the confidence to get on the microphone and to speak and to have people around me to to encourage like okay we like what you're doing. Okay. This is different. It's not traditional radio. All right. We like your sound. We see where you're going. And then when I got into the mornings, Lucas, which is my co-host, completely embraced who I was. And I want to say adapted the show to, to me. Wow. Yeah. So like, what, what kind of style is it in the morning? Morning traditionally sounds, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people <laughs> listen to morning radio because everybody listens to podcasts, but your morning radio for a lot of stations is very bit driven for bits. It's like, you know, we use like the Carmen prank calls as a thing. You know, you have a lot of jokes, you know, a lot of jokes, celebrity gossip, sports updates, traffic, weather, little bit here. It's not really about the people talking. Nobody cares about the people talking but they want information. There's a certain amount of personality you're allowed to put in, but it's mainly driven to entertain the audience, but not for the audience to really get to know the people talking. Mm. And then, so you guys are kind of doing non-traditional morning? Yeah. I want to say our morning show is more podcast-like. We have a conversation. It feels like this, you know, when I go on the microphone, 
and which what we're doing now is recording from home. When we go on air, Lucas and I, we know what we're going to do. And a lot of it, you have to know where you're talking to. We're talking to people in Stockton. Some of the things that uh, some people are so disconnected to their community that you can literally put it anywhere and it's so generic. But what we do, Lucas is a staple in that damn community and he's a single father. So he gets to talk about his experiences and I get to talk about mine. And it allows people to kind of relate a little bit more. That's dope. We got, I got lucky. You got lucky. So now, like, go ahead. No, yeah, I really, I really did get lucky with kind of like how all this happened. Oh, that's awesome. So now, I mean, you touched on podcasting and you're doing that too, right? Yeah. uh, Big shout out to the No Chaser podcast. I do that with Timothy Delaghetto and Ricky Shucks. And I met Tim through Wildin' Out. A lot of people know Tim from that show. From Is MTV. he still doing Wildin' Out? Tim took a little break and then he went back. So he definitely will be on the next couple of seasons. He has a few shows on MTV. He has a basic to bougie. He did this thing called Send Foods. He worked with Thrillist. Like Tim has been extremely busy. So I got lucky that he wanted to work with me. That's awesome. And then you, so you fly out to LA like once a month? We have, uh, we did our one year anniversary. I want to say in February. February was our one year anniversary. I've been doing the podcast for a year now. And yeah, I either fly, (laughs) fly out to LA. I shoot the show. We sometimes have multiple episodes in a day. Man, draining at times. Very different. Yeah, how is that? So we'll... Okay, the first couple episodes we did, we really drank because it is called the No Chaser Podcast. And oh. Yeah, so it is the No Chaser Makes Podcast. so much sense. Yes. So Tim and I drink. Rick doesn't drink. And a lot of the guests that Tim brings on are friends of his, and they drink. We were getting, we were shooting more than one episode a day. So we would knock out like four to five. We yeah. had to chill out. <laughs> so number five is like you're not even coherent at that point oh oh my god there's like number five i want to say gina ugh, well gina she she is one of those gamers she had came on gina's amazing she actually was super funny by that episode she was so game to drink and we were drinking at one point everybody's just kind of like yelling at each other it was it was a hilarious <laughs> mess but it's trial and error. Like nobody was coming from a podcasting background. Plus it's on YouTube. Plus it's hella alcohol. We're all friends. <laughs> it, was, it was different. But I where we're that's at. the perfect thing though. Oh, it was. You got to find a balance. When you shoot more than one episode, you, you kind of got to know how to pace yourself. But that comes with anything, right? You got to learn. So we have figured out how to do that. So shout out to the guests that don't drink because we've needed y'all at times. For sure. Yeah, because like I was telling you, this drives me to drink just so I could kind of get like, you know, relaxed and in a rhythm. And and I'm talking to my friends, but it's still a little nerve wracking, you know? Yeah. When we were talking before, I had told you, you know, I'm three years in to having a microphone in front of me and having to be Nikki Blades. And it for sure, I get nervous with interviews. I get nervous with interviews, even when they are my friends. So I get it. But 
you know, it's frowned upon to be drinking in the middle of the day at a, at a corporate office. So (laughs) (laughs) I've had to, I've had to learn how to not drink when doing that. And I've also seen too, what happens when I drink, like my personality shifts. So it's kind of like, you got to find a balance, but again, uh, trial and error and to each their own. Cause there are some people that their personality just shine when they're drunk, like shines. You're like, Oh my God, they're a star. But now you know that they have a problem because they can only be that when they drink. Well, so right? what are some of the like tricks and trades of like, or what, do, what are some of the things you do to loosen up prior to like getting on the air? With the morning show, thank goodness that's kind of become second nature and I become comfortable with that. Knowing what you're talking about or who you're talking to, that's like the biggest, that's the biggest trick is either you got to be very informed because with anything, the more you know, the easier it is to talk about it and the more confident you feel. But if not, you better learn how to bullshit your way out of a paper bag. (laughs) So like if we were to talk about pianos, like it, it would be a tough interview, right? One thing I learned is that if you don't know about something, don't pretend like you do. And you allow the person that does know about it speak more. Ah, see? Some good yeah. good tips. Yeah, because people can tell when you're lying. And people can tell when you don't know what you're talking about. So if you say, hey, I don't know. Like, do you know about pianos? Can you tell me a little bit more? And then you shift the focus off of you. And then you... <laughs> So people aren't looking at you like, oh, wow, she has no idea what she's talking about. And then you let the other person speak because sometimes the one that says less wins or at least, I mean, not necessarily wins, but, you know, it kind of takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah, for sure. Wow, man, this has been an incredible journey for you. Yeah. kind of started off in something entirely different and now you're here I would have never thought that I would be here but if it wasn't for all the things that led up to this point I don't think I've ever said this more than in the past two weeks is I'm so thankful and I'm not one of those people that be like oh my god god has blessed me oh all praise thank you so much I'm so blessed I'm not one of those people but everything that's kind of happened in my life, good and bad, there's been a lot of things that have, you know, shifted the course of my life, happened for a reason. And I've never felt that more than in these last two weeks. Like working in the club, I left that. I left a really good paying job at the at the nightlife and that world to focus on something that I mean, it's not about a check. It's about where can this take me later. And I made it through the storm being able to do my job from my home. So it's wild. Well, what do you think like you could attribute your success from like, like a lesson that you learned through nightlife that kind of has led you to this? Ooh, I made a lot of friends, but nightlife allowed me to be the heightened version of myself. That was a stage every day. Like, Every time you went into work, I was able to be Nikki. I was able to be Nikki Blades. It was always on. The show is always on. And I took away being able to turn it on and turn it off. That was 
one of the places I've always felt confident. I've always felt comfortable in that environment. And it really developed and made me who I am. If you don't know how to deal with a crowd of, I mean, I've done bottle service. I was in management. I started bartending. I've kind of touched on everything. You learn about business. You learn about relationships. You learn about communication. And you also learn about yourself. Like you are literally putting yourself in situations on a nightly basis that can really fuck you up in the future. Like really, (laughs) can you make it out of the industry? Not an alcoholic. (laughs) Can you go and have a backup plan? Will you, who are you when you drink too much? Who are you when you're at your lows? The nightlife industry is one of those places where I have made my best friends And those are the people that know me the most. And those are the people that I've wanted to do business with. Those are the people that encourage you to to grow. That's great. Yeah, I mean, because nightlife is always looked at in like a negative connotation. But I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of like great relationships have happened out of the club. It's just a matter of balancing you know, through your highs and lows and knowing your limits. Yeah, it will test you. But think about it. I met you through nightlife. When it came to a lot of the work that I was doing, some of the biggest support I got was from the people that I had in nightlife. Yo, I started hosting events after doing Maxim and print work and your friends are the ones that put you on. Everybody's trying to get a check. Like the nightlife will show you how to get money. And honestly, it could either eat you up or you can thrive in it. And how many people do we know that have multiple businesses, that are entrepreneurs, that grind it out, that still have fun, have lives, have families, but go to work every damn weekend and grind like nobody else's business? Yeah, a lot. A lot. lot. Yeah. So what's next for Nikki Blades? Some solo work. I I think, not I think, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to be manifest doing more. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing more with Nikki Street Eats. Nikki Street Eats started, damn, Nikki Street Eats kind of started in the midst of all of that, uh, all the other work. And it was a solo project that I did. I came out with a calendar and the inspiration behind that was the Carl's Jr. commercials. And I remember going, I don't see anybody that looks like me. I eat a lot. I actually really love food. It's my culture. It's who I am. And I took that pretty much like their layout and I applied it to myself. And I just been running with that for a few years now. So Nikki Street Eats, I'm definitely going to be putting out more episodes. Going to hopefully, fingers crossed, be able to go eat at restaurants soon. I would like to be optimistic about that. Nobody knows when we're going to be able to do that again. But, you know, to be able to do that podcast, of course to do that as well and figure out how to hustle from home, start developing other skills, really looking at where we're going to be in the next like upcoming years. Life has changed. The life that we knew before all of this is, it doesn't exist anymore. So either we adapt and figure it out or we get left behind. Wow. Wow. You are a goddamn scholar. I talk, I talk for a living, Justin. You know, it's kind of what they pay me to do now. 
Right. I mean, yeah, you, you do make a good point, though. We're starting to see the emergence of how creatives are, you know, keeping creative or or weathering the storm right now. I'm, I'm really optimistic that you'll be able to work at restaurants and, and kind of get your brand out there. Because I know that's been a goal of yours to really get the Nikki Street Eats thing moving. Yeah, that's been the biggest. When you talk about passion, that's food is the passion. Like I said, I wanted to be a model and a food critic. And I've been trying to figure out how to merge those two worlds. But, you know, timing is everything. And again, I really I really don't say this enough, but I'm thankful for whatever didn't happen before it was supposed to. Because Nikki Street Eats was supposed to be shot like six times. And <laughs> I mean, we've had, you know, big shout out to Kayeen Baker. For those of you that don't know, one of like the best videographers out there. And yeah, we were supposed to work together several times and other opportunities have taken him away and other projects have came. But think about it. If I was in the middle of recording right now and that was all I was doing, I would be sitting at this table, probably not talking to you, stressed out, trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, I mean, you would be, but. I mean, you're resilient. I think that this is teaching us a very big lesson of save your money, you know? Hallelujah. Huh? I said, hallelujah. Save your money. Understand that, like, you know, you could pass up the off-white Jordan release, you know? You don't have to buy Gucci flip-flops. Like, these things are, are, are pretty much marked frivolous now. Yeah, and, you know, you 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 have nowhere to wear that. I haven't worn pants in like four weeks. <laughs> Man, when I tell you, I the sacrifices, the amount of events I didn't go to, the trips that I didn't take, the bottles that we never popped, the the clothes that we didn't buy, the meals that we didn't spend money on, like all those things, is is for something. You gotta you gotta always see the bigger picture. I'm thankful to have known financial security and to be pushed to be independent. Cause I, I know a lot of people that don't even understand what that means. Like we got friends that are still trying to figure out what the, what the fuck their credit score is like, come on. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that right now. And you know, you see the people that'll call you and just be like, man, I need to go back to work because the, you know, they live in check to check. Mm -hmm. So it's tough. It's really tough right now. Well, you could film your first episode on the reboot at SB2 if you'd like. Please. Shout out to SB2. Yes. I, I kind of have a hand in there or something, but yeah. <laughs> I got two cameras that I'm staring at right now ready to shoot. I just, did, I just did a mukbang. Okay. I, did a, I did a mukbang with Tim. How full were you after that? I still could have ate. That's really? what's bad. So did I mean, you eat? Did you eat Tim? Like, did you eat him out the, the the room? Like he wasn't even hanging with you, or what, what's going on? One of the best parts about working with Tim is that every time we record an episode, we eat very well after the podcast. So on this occasion, Tim wasn't feeling well, and oh. we weren't even sure if we were going to use this episode. And I had been bugging and people had been saying like, you know, let's do a mukbang together. But he wasn't really feeling too good. And then when he started editing, he was like, oh, snap, this actually looks a lot better than we felt. 
And I was starving. Like I was super hungry that day. It was actually, we shot that the day that we found out that Kobe passed away. Wow. Yeah. That was a really, really, really terrible time in LA. And I think I actually found out the next day. I'm sorry. It was, uh, it was around, it was that weekend when we found out about Kobe and everybody was off, but I'm always hungry. My appetite normally isn't, it doesn't get affected by much, let alone when it is really good sushi in front of me. But Tim can eat like Tim and I, we eat a lot of food. That was the one time that Tim was just not into it. And we were taking shots and, you know, I have a background in drinking, so I was prepared. I'm going to have to check that out. So this, this are professional though. Like I'm retired. You're a pro. No, I don't go out as I used to. I'm engaged. Like every in a wedding, I don't go out like I used to. There's, but you guys, what are you going to do? Quarantine's done. Okay. Quarantine's done. Everybody's about to get ready to go out. Do you think we're just going to have a bunch of drunk bodies everywhere? I hope not. And here's the simple thing is that, like, you said life is going to change. And I hope that people understand that it, there's more to life than just, you know, getting hella messed up. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I'm not going to partake in it, but that wouldn't be the first thing that I'd want to do. Yeah. It's it's not like run and go to the club. And I feel you on that. I think the first thing I would do is actually get to see my family again. Yeah. I think that. That is the logical thing that you should do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but again, you know, I mean, I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not going to partake in that. Yeah. But I think it's, it's more important to like, you know, go see your family, your friends, maybe hug somebody that's outside of your, outside of your household, you know? Yeah. That's a like big the one. physical touch. Like how, how has that really been? That hasn't happened. Yeah, that's been a big thing. And I'm not sure when this is going to come out, but like the other day, we see people that are out in LA, 30 to 40 people partying in the street. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Then you see people in Oakland partying like it's nothing. And it's like, damn, the amount of sacrifices that people are making or not making. It's either you're going to figure it out during this time, figure yourself out. Like you said, your priorities, who are you? And if you don't come out of quarantine a better person than you were when you went into it, you didn't, you didn't learn anything at all. For sure. A hundred percent. Should be using this time to recalibrate your whole life. Mm-hmm. Everything. <laughs> we're getting too serious here. Sorry. You brought up one point that made me think about all that. It was what? to hug someone that is not like a family member. I, you, you don't realize it until you're in it to where you miss just being around people. You go to the store and you look at people. You're like, damn, I can't even. I feel some type of way. I think I might become a hypochondriac after this. Like, I'm right. going to be freaked out. But... Am I going to appreciate shit? Yeah. Am yeah. I going to start looking at things different? Yeah. Am I going to bust my ass even harder? Because I don't want to go poor. Don't want For that. Sure. All right. So let's wrap this up. And I think this is the most fitting question that I could close this with. 
is if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be? Ooh, this is one of those questions I would probably change depending on what the hell I'm going through. Who would um, be on Nikki Street Eats? Season oh, one. Anthony Bourdain. Hands down. Anthony Bourdain, first guest, of course. That person, that individual is such an inspiration to what I do. That right there. He's the motivation to be yourself with all your flaws. That guy went through hell and still made it out doing what he loved and still being himself. So um, Anthony Bourdain is number one. He, I just think he's just a special human. Number two, who the hell would I want? There, there was a point in time where I'd say Tyra Banks. Tyra Banks, big inspiration. I just would love to pick her brain and also to kind of see what happened with everything. She went a little left and I want to know what changed. How did, how did that happen? How do you go from one place to another? And then I would do, <sighs> who would be the last person? This would be selfish, but I'm going to say Andre 3000. Ooh, I like that one. Andre 3000 is just a genius. And musically, creatively, just his spirit. You know, he, him and Erica Badu are damn near, you know, they like one and the same. But I would rather say with Andre 3000 than Erica Badu because I think that Andre 3000 is still one of my crushes. Still where, have where, where would you take him to eat? Andre 3000? Yeah. I feel like you would, it would have to be some, <sighs> I think you could go to a little, like an in-between place, something organic. I think he gives me that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think he Does gives he give me you that. vegetarian vibes? Is that what I, you're saying? I, yeah, totally. Totally vegetarian vibes. I want to have <laughs> a picture of him. You know what I mean? Like you want to be in a field full of, daisies sitting <laughs> on a blanket with him playing the guitar serenading you with a glass of wine like that and possibly smoking something i don't know does he smoke i don't know but that i just get like a dream date not a dream dinner uh you didn't say that it wasn't gonna be- <laughs> hey listen if we're going to dinner that's why i chose him over erica badu got it <laughs> Nikki, but- thank you um, any yeah. last words? Thank you for everything. You're like a big part in where I am today. Like we've worked together a lot. You've encouraged me a lot. You've always believed in in the brand. You saw the lanes. You've always pushed. You've been one of those people that's always been in my corner. So it's actually an honor for you to ask me to be on here. I appreciate you. Wow. A lot. Wow. You really have. I still have shirts that you made with me on them. Like you supported me. Wow. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you. So, wow. Thank you. But yeah, check out everything. Uh, still on the No Chaser podcast with Tim. Check out my Instagram at Nikki Blades. Tune into the radio show. That's Kwin977983. Kwin. Check out Nikki Street Eats. YouTube is up at Nikki Blades. Videos hopefully being posted soon. And yeah, I can't I wait to work with you again. Awesome. I mean, we, we are. We will. I'll post all the links. Thank you again for being on here, not running circles around me. I felt like I kind of held my own in this. And um, you, 
you told me to have a conversation with you. And I was like, I can do that. For sure. I appreciate it. This was another episode while you were sleeping. Catch us on Spotify, Anchor. I need to get on Apple Music. I thought I was on Apple Music. I'm not. So you got to get on it. I got to get on it. So thank you. Appreciate it. We are out. <laughs>